Hello and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, I'd like to share with you a live event that was put on by the Greater Rochester Track Club on the eve of the 2019 Mind the Ducks 12-hour race, the Barkley Marathons at Mind the Ducks. So you can tell what two things are being smashed together here. Uh, you may have heard of a little Netflix documentary called Barkley, The Race That Eats Its Young. And if you're a trail runner or an ultra runner, you may have even been asked if you ever ran or want to run Barkley. And if you're a silly person, well, you might even be thinking that you do want to run the Barkley someday. What you may not know is that we have two people from the Rochester area that have run Barkley six times between the two of them. So maybe after listening to them, they may uh, convince you that you are in fact silly if you're considering this thing. Tim Hardy and John Fagverisi both ran the race in 2012 and are in the Barkley documentary. John is one of the race's only 15 finishers, 15 out of 25 years. And Tim has finished races like Arrowhead 135, Badwater, Massanutten Mountain, and yet he was portrayed as the human sacrifice in the movie. Thanks to the Greater Rochester Track Club, Tim and John uh, gave us a behind-the-curtain sort of view of what it was like to really be in Barkley. And what is it about running and community that makes the crazy seem not so crazy and the impossible seem a little more probable? Tim and John shared their stories and helped us figure out or maybe just let us relax in the glow of shared suffering and celebration of the human condition. Big thanks to GRTC, John and Tim for letting me be part of the night to record it all and share it with you. And with that, let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of runners just like you. Welcome to this uh, Q&A with Barkley Marathoners, who are regulars at Mind the Ducks as well. So um, my story with these two gentlemen is, like, in, I took over this race in 2014. I knew Tim before. And before the race, Tim comes up to me and says, do you know who John Fairversi is? I said, no. <laughs> He's the one, only one who has completed Barclays Marathon. I did not know what it is. And a few years later, I heard this um, uh, Facebook chatter, and I believe it was Mary who said, like, I cannot believe that this from this Barclays movie we have Two guys at the Mind of Ducks, you know, from the stars of the movie. All right, they got to see it, you know, and sure enough, Tim and John were in in, in the movie, one of the you know, just main stars. And, uh, and the <laughs> stars. Uh, so, and it, this is kind Finish of first. that we have this race, and uh, we have two, the Barkley participants, and one of them is finisher as well. Uh, I thought, you know, just like, why don't we have a like short Q and A with you know, coming 
before the race, and actually uh, an hour or so, and uh, uh, get to know them. Uh, things were, get to know them, learn what happened behind the scenes, all that stuff. Um, you know, one thing that I want to set the record clear about, you know, just like Tim was like a labeled as a designated, uh, what was it called, designated <laughs> human, no, human, human sacrifice. Sacrificial virgin. Exactly. It's more like if you watch a movie that you get the impression it's like you grab something from a street, put in a course, and they failed. You know, Tim has done some stuff which is like some of us could dream of. Like you have finished Badwater, one thirty-five miler. Then Eric has one thirty-five miler. That is one tough. That one was second one is I think is even tougher. Like in the winter time, to dragging to drag your own equipment as well. Neptune. Yeah, you have to in early. Yeah. yeah. So. It's not. It's it's like, yeah. Tim is by itself is just have done some some incredible stuff, you know. Just as more like I think it's like, uh, uh, you know, it's not. It just underscores how tough that course is in Barclays. So, John, you know, just like his John is one of the 15th finishers at the Barclays, but he's the only one who have won mind the Ducks and finished Barclays Marathon. <laughs> Chris, take over. And uh, Barkley, the man who eats the ducks. <laughs> um, so, hi, everybody. I'm uh, Chris O'Brien from Running Inside Out Podcast. If you haven't heard about it or don't know about it, um, you know, I'll be here to chat and tell you all about it. We'll be recording this and putting it out on the podcast later. So, if you either doze off or get so excited that you don't remember things, you go into a fugue state, we'll, we'll have it for you later. Um, uh, Gil called it a Q&A. Um, what I really sort of aim for is a conversation. These two are the only two in the road that have, only two in the room that have made the drive to Frozen Head State Park on April Fool's Day. They're, they're the two that know it. So we're going to learn a little bit about why they even thought that they should be doing that. But more about who who they really are and and what a uh, a twelve hour paved loop around a nice sunny park and and barbs and brambles and uh, one hundred twenty thousand feet of elevation. What makes these two guys do those two same things? What's that all about? Um, so my hope is that tonight we we learn a little bit about John and Tim. And maybe we might even learn a little bit about ourselves and why we, why we do the things we do. Many of us will be running around that circle tomorrow. Some of us will be clapping while other idiots run around the circle. Um, but there's a reason why we're all in this room together. And uh, hopefully that's, that's something that we can uh, share in and enjoy in today. Sound good? All right, cool. So, uh, Mr. Fegvarisi, uh, you are one of 15 finishers. You finished. <laughs> you did finish on your first time. Um, Tim did not finish on his first time. Or second. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? John didn't finish on his second time either. So. <laughs> or third or fourth. Yeah. Um, but, uh, John, you're from Rochester. You grew up in Webster. You grew up right around the corner, right? 
Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, beginnings in the world of running in Webster. Yeah, sure. So I did run cross country for Webster High School, um, mostly just in junior high. And then when I got to high school, I kind of didn't really have time for it anymore. And when I went to college, I sort of gave it up and didn't really do much of anything actively. Uh, but then uh, there was a particular year where I decided to hike, go for a long hike. So I hiked the Appalachian Trail, and that really kind of turned that switch back on. So I started getting more into just adventures and, and trying to do things a little bit more, more on the unorthodox side. So you know, I started off doing traditional marathons, I guess, too, when I, when I got into running again. But I found as I made my way through... Uh, the different races and events that I was really gravitating more towards the non-traditional type things like Barkley and uh, Vol States and kind of weird, obscure things. Um, but I also found that uh, I don't like to do any one thing for too long, and I like to always kind of mix it up. And, you know, there are people that will say, I'll only run trails, so that's all I like, that's all I want to do. And there's arguments, I suppose. I mean, roads can be hard. But for me, I like to always just do a little bit of everything. You know, I'll still run a 5K. I'll still come here and run loops around North Ponds because I think it's great. And so I, I think that's, for me, the key to, to having fun in my adventures and my running is to just always kind of um, keep it mixed up. Mm-hmm. A lot of variety. Yeah. And you, you've mostly been around the Northeast, right? For, for the yeah, most part, yep. uh, stationed around the Northeast. And then you've, you've kind of gone to various places that we'll cover later. But yeah. your home's always been Northeast. That's right. Yeah. 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 The farthest I ever lived was Ohio. So. And uh, Tim, you're, you're a, a military guy by background, right? I, I am retired Army, yes. Right, so that that's kind of, that's why you thought you could do Barkley, right? The military um, guy. I, you know, I, <laughs> yes, I actually thought that uh, I had some some skill sets from the military that would really afford me well there, and they they should have to a, a better extent. But uh, you know, I had a lot of land nav training and everything in the army. In fact, probably more than anybody that's ever stepped foot onto the Barkley course, quite obvious, honestly, and uh, at least from a military background. You know, every school I went to in the military, you, you get graded in the Army as far as whether you can pass the land navigation course or not. And so I had a lot of that in my background, and it probably should have served me a little better out in the Barkley course. Well, could, could you share a little bit about how you got your start? You've done a lot of things. I mean, Gil mentioned Badwater. He mentioned Arrowhead. But you've done at least 70 ultras? Uh, um Last this past month, I did uh, the English Ridge Rumble. Mm-hmm. Scott English's 50k, Great 50k in Fayetteville, in uh, Green Lake State Park. That was that's the 73rd ultra marathon that I finished. Which, I mean, that that sounds like a lot. I don't even think that's as many as he's done. But uh, I know a lot of people have done a lot more. But uh, it's a pretty good number. But where did where did how did it? What's the deal? Why? Where what? What you you had to start running at some point, and you didn't run Barkley first, no, right? No, um, I uh, I'm a, I'm an old jock, you know, from high school. I, I did ball sports. I mean, I love football and and baseball and basketball is my favorite sport. And I, I never did any really real running or anything like I didn't do cross country or anything like that. But when you get in the army and you're you're in the infantry, I, when I first went in the army, I went to Ranger Regiment. And for physical training, you just run every day. And, um, you know, you go out there with this big 
plan and you know you have a you have a non-commissioned officer and they have plans for what you're going to do and how fast you're going to run and your squad gets out there and then when you know it's like okay we're going to do six miles at an eight minute pace and this and that and you get out there and you see Sergeant Smith's squad in front of you, and the whole thing goes out the window. It's like just catch those guys and pass them. That's all. It, <laughs> that's all it counts. So, I, I did a lot of running in that back that that type of background, but I actually almost never really did a race until I was later in the army, and I got punked into doing a marathon. And and um... <laughs> doesn't everybody get punked into their first <laughs> no, marathon? <laughs> There's like one person who ran a marathon once. And now they punk. It's like a chain. It's gone down. Oh. Um, well, I, you know, I, after I did that and kind of failed at it, um, I did a couple other marathons with friends of mine, and and uh, and um, I was doing one a year, and I had this this goal in the back of my mind that I was going to qualify for Boston, and I really wasn't. When I moved to Fort Drum, I volunteered to go to Fort Drum of all things, which is kind of crazy. But uh, I was sitting there looking at. Um, different marathons in the area, and I came across this hey, the, uh, the Finger Lakes 50K, and I thought, hey, I'm going I'm to try an ultra marathon. Maybe if I'm running longer distances, I'll qualify for Boston. And I forgot about that for like <laughs> six or seven years until I finally pursued that. But I just, I, I love being on an ultra marathon course, and I, I love, I love, I mean, I've never won an event. I've never, I think in one of, I think out of all the events I've done, I've, I've never finished First in my age group because I'm running against him half the time, Jim Minor. But uh, I've, I, I just I love crossing finish lines. You know that's that's why I go out there and pursue it. And it's I'm kind of like John in that regard. I mean I love trails. I've never met an ultra I didn't like. I, I mean I don't care if it's roads. I don't care if it's. You know, I haven't done a lot of timed events. The first one I did was Mind the Ducks, and I I think that's maybe the purest event. You know you not specifically Mind the Ducks, but it, but a timed race where you're out there and it's like, how far can I go in 12 hours? Mm-hmm. Or how far can I go in 24 hours or yeah. six hours? I, that's that's mm-hmm. exciting. I think. Yeah. And John, he, he mentioned Boston, right? So, so one thing that I, I've, I've, uh, John's, John's talked on a lot of different forums. If you haven't heard, uh, he talked on 10 junk miles was a, a really good podcast. Uh, three hours on 10 junk miles. So there, there's something there. Um, but he also has talked on uh, East Coast Trail and Ultra, which we'll put that over there and put that one over there. But John has done Badwater. He's done Barkley. He did them both in the same year, Badwater and... Tim beat me at Badwater that year. <laughs> <laughs> You're still tired from Barkley. <laughs> you had a better race than me that year for sure. Right. He also did Boston. So you think a guy who qualifies with a 315 at Boston and does 59 hours and 43 minutes at Barkley? 41. Yeah. 41. Eh, sorry. <laughs> you can have those two minutes. But um, it's that varied. It's the love of the running. It's the love of the doing the thing that really interests me. Um, you can say like, I'm going to run around a 12 hour loop and everybody goes, Oh my God, it's one mile for 12 hours. And you're like, yeah, it's one mile for 12 hours. What's that? A, what's that for you? Yeah, people ask me that a lot because actually the first timed event I ever signed up for, it was, I had just done Barkley the second time and I, I had a really bad year 
And I came back kind of frustrated. I said, I want to do something. You know, for me, it's always about just the adventure. I just like the adventure of doing things, getting out no matter what it is. And I, I on a whim, I, I just Googled timed event, and I'd never done one. And I signed up that moment for a 72-hour, three-day event. <laughs> and it was a one-mile loop. And I said, I'm going to run in circles for three days. And I told people, and they're like, you're such an idiot. Why would you do that? <laughs> and believe it or not, there were amazing things about that race. Um, because you, know, you don't think about when you're out on a 50K course that's point-to-point or something, you know, you might run with some people for a little bit, and then you never see them again. But when you're on a one-mile loop, you, it's, it becomes a family because you're with the same people all day, and you always see them. You're always passing them, or they're passing you, and you always see everybody's crew in the same place, and it just becomes like a really different type of experience. So even though I was out there for 72 hours, those are some of the best friends I've ever made in, in ultra running, the New Jersey Trail Club. You know, I, I still go to that event now, even though I don't do the 72-hour anymore, just because I, I had such a great time there. So you, I don't know. I just try to find different things about different events that bring them back. Yeah. I thought that a lot about mind the ducks. When I first heard about mind the ducks, I was like, I don't know. And then you go and that's exactly what it is. It's like a festival, right? It is. It's the Western New York social event of the year. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a party. It's not like running for some yeah, there's there's some people that take a break from the party to go run. <laughs> they have their own party, but but that idea of um, this is this is just sort of what we do, right? We go out and we run and we we try the physical limits, but we're we're doing it together in order to be alone, right? Like the the aloneness of the trails and the the aloneness of like you run out of thoughts about the real world. Um, that that is another big draw that I think you talked a lot about, John. Tim, did you do you have that sort of thing where you're looking to run out of thoughts when you're running? Um, you know, people people like no one in my well, my niece has done an ultra before. She did the one I raced her. And there are people in my family that are like, what do you think about while you're out there? I'm I'm sure everybody's heard that. It's like. I think about anything but running while I'm running. You know, you, you think about life. You think you know, I try not to think about the projects I've got to do at home, or but you just, you, I mean, just out there running and relaxing and, and trying to be, to me, trying to be the best runner I can be while I'm out there running, or have the best race I can have at that point without, you know. When you, I first thought that too about mind the ducks. Wow, that's a twelve mile loop, and you get out there. It's like I, I don't think about that course once while I'm out there. Mm-hmm. I don't think about the course or the fact that it's a one mile loop because it's it's twelve hours. It's not one mile. Yeah, it's twelve yeah. hours, and how far can you go in twelve hours? Yeah, I think I think a race, a race like or I should say event like this is good too for people that maybe haven't done an ultra yet because there's no Absolutely. there's no like uh, pressure on hitting a distance, and you ha- you know. Like, my sister's not a runner, but she came out and did a marathon at Mind the Ducks. That's awesome. She had 12 hours, and she's like, there's no pressure. I can do a couple miles and then sit down for a while. And So I think it's a really good event for some for people that are like, you know, I just want to see how what I can do in 12 hours or mm-hmm. just go for it, and there's no pressure. Or for people that want to learn about an ultra. I, I've told people, go. they're like, well, how do I figure out how to run an ultra? I'm like, go volunteer at Mind the Ducks, and you'll see how people <laughs> run an ultra because they're going to go buy you. Yeah. You know, Ben Griffin's going to go buy you 63 <laughs> times tomorrow, much, yeah. you know, or, or longer. You know, it's like it, yeah. you, you get to see what they're doing, for sure. Yeah, and, and so as, as we've 
as we've sort of talked, I mean, the idea is it's, it's that it's the community, right? And it's the, it's what you're going to get, but also what you're sort of going to give. And uh, John, you mentioned a lot about going back to small towns. And earlier you mentioned, I do, I'll do the smallest race and I'll do the biggest race and I like to mix it up. Um, So you just drove in, you just drove six miles. You're back at mine, the ducks. Um, You're going to have your family time, but um, you travel a lot around the Northeast for races. Do you find the running community to be similar in all the places you've gone? It's always a little different, um, but I, I do always try to find when I move to a new place, I always try to find like the local running club. You know, when I was in grad school in Pennsylvania, there was a great running club there, Nittany Valley Runners, and like they put on 5Ks, 10Ks every week, and you just and they do their long runs on Saturdays together. And I would always go out for runs with them. And now that I'm in the Boston area, um, there's Tark, and those guys are great. They put on so yeah. many good local races, so I'm always running their events. And and you know, it's just you kind of find the families in different places you go. And so wherever I end up next, you know, I'll, I'll certainly seek out the local running club. Yeah. And did you find that a lot traveling around to your, oh, sure. to your events? I, I, um, I think the ultra running community is it's the best community I've ever. I mean, it's a tribe. Uh, it's, I, I like to think I belong to it. It's a, I mean, I, I like to each, think each I belong place, to it too. Yeah, <laughs> each place has its own little dialect, but in each, you know, and there's, there's different communities within that community, like the Ball State. Group has its own. I mean, that's yeah. a different tribe within the tribe because those are some crazy people in that group too. But it's it's a community like none other. I mean, the sport's driven by volunteers, and I mean, it's not like the world of marathoning where someone's going to finish and and you know take home a hundred thousand dollar prize. I mean, very few very few races even have any prize money. But there's so many people that participate and give their time back. It, it's unbelievable. Yeah. How much How much did you get for winning Barkley, John? to your point you know it's funny i I did just run a road marathon a couple weeks ago and it's i always forget just how different that crowd is you know like i spent a lot of time sort of in the trail and ultra community and everyone is just so relaxed and just it seems like everyone just gets along and you go to a, a a road marathon and you're in that school before the race and everybody's really serious and they're all like looking to see what shoes you're wearing it's super like stressful and i just yeah it's amazing the different the different mentalities between road runners and sort of just this community yeah i i say it's uh relax a lot more with the trail runners and the ultra runners i say it's a lot of knees and elbows in the road running community but it's also really fun to run really fast on the roads right like that's a lot of fun um and I did misspeak. I said I said win Barkley, and obviously John didn't win that year. No one really wins. <laughs> That's what I was going to get at. Even the person that finished first didn't exactly win. Pay for it. But um, so let's transition in, into Barkley a little bit. Um, and and we we could we've all watched the movie, right? If, did you see the documentary? Raise your hand. All right, there's a couple here who haven't. There's that's a new awesome. Do you know? Yeah. Common, so, yeah. Yep. Gary's Gary's is good. Well, that's one. That's different though. That the race that eats its young, where dreams go to die. Yeah. Right. So this is a really sparkly, happy event. <laughs> this is a place that's really going to build you up. Um, but what I was interested in is, first off, what. I don't know a lot about the entry. I know a little bit more than others, but um, we're not going to ask you how you actually get into Barclay because we know you can't tell. 
But you, we do. Everybody does know that you have to write an essay. One component is an essay that was in the movie. So, what was in your essay as the first year? I want to get into Barkley. What did you tell? What did you tell Laz that that let him feel like you should be in it? Well, part you know, you're justifying why you should get in the race, and. Uh, so a, par- a part of your, a part of your essay is your, your racing resume, and uh, mine was focused at getting in that race because I, I I wanted to see what I was really capable of doing. And if you, uh, I'm kind of giving away Laz Lake trade secrets. I think. I mean, I, I can't speak for him, but if you follow all his races, he he doesn't put a race together to so people can get out there and you know. Live aid station to aid station to aid station, and oh, by the way, I completed a hundred mile race. That guy designs races for people to reach their maximum potential on the course. Even even strolling gym. If you've been on the strolling gym course, there's all sorts of little motivational epithets written on the ground. Like my mother doesn't walk here. They're all put there by the race director. And that's how he designs races. So uh, I I figured I was a long shot to get in because I didn't I didn't have a great race resume. Either time compared to a lot of people going in it, but I, I just said I wanted to basically the gist of my essay was I want to test myself in the most difficult race in the world, and I, I would love that challenge. And lo and behold, the son of a gun let me in it. And at that time, you had done Badwater. Um, no. no. Oh, you was, hadn't. It was 2012. It was oh, okay. I, I had paid for Badwater, but yeah. I hadn't. Done <laughs> same, same. <Yeah>. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, that was that's the same. Like yeah, Badwater cashed my check. Let me in the Barclays. See, 2000, 2012 was um, for me. It was a bit. It was a big. It was a, it was a big personal goal year. I um, now from the first when I first started looking into when I first started exploring the sport and learning about it, I saw a movie called Running on the Sun. It's the first documentary about Badwater, and I said I'm going to do that race someday. I'd, I'd only done one ultra, like a. The Finger Lakes 50K. And I was like, I want to run Badwater. A lot of mud you know, on the uh, Badwater course, yeah, right? Well, a lot of mud on Badwater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I, wanted to, I, I, I was researching that, and I decided, you know what? I want to run Badwater and Arrowhead in the same year because very few people had done that. Arrowhead's still a pretty new race. And, uh, and it just came out that I completed Arrowhead, and that got me into, into Badwater. And then I came off the list to run Barkley which would have been really cool to do. I would have been the only mortal to ever finish those three races in one year, except for him. Oh, you I didn't do Arrowhead. Yeah, yeah, so, so, uh, so, so no, I, I hadn't done Badwater yet, and a lot of my training was focused on that because I spent a lot of money just, just to get in that race, never mind go do it. But, uh, it uh, so you told Laz... I haven't done anything, but I really want to test myself. Well, no. I, I, I had done 7-8-100s <laughs> prior to that. I mean, it, 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 I, I didn't just walk off off the street. Like, I, I was two for two at Massanutten. I was two for three at Old Dominion. The first year I tried that, I timed out. But I was two for two for three there. I, I'd done the Guts Reactor run that same year. So I had done seven or 800-mile yeah. races going in that direction. So, yeah. so he threw me a bone and let me in. Right. Or got, I was on the waiting list. I came right off it pretty quick. And John, what what did you tell? Yeah, Lars? I kind of I went back and forth a lot on that. Um, <laughs> you know, he if you've see, obviously you've seen the documentary, he's he's got 
he can have kind of a twisted personality sometimes. And so there are people that will use that to their advantage and they will, you know, it's a risky approach, but there will be people that will write essays kind of um, saying like, I can beat your race, kind of very hubris, like, oh, your race isn't, isn't that hard. And just because they know that he'll let them in then to prove them wrong. So a lot of people will take that approach, but that's risky because you might, you might upset him then. Um, so he does, he does like to let people in sort of to prove them wrong. Um, and so I had started an essay kind of similar. I was like, here, you know, I've done all these things. I've done all these through hikes and these, these, these uh, ultras. And, you know, I think I've never DNF'd and yada, yada, and I. And then I got to a point where I was writing this essay and I was like, oh, you've heard all this before. Everything I'm writing, you've heard before, blah, blah, blah. And so I just said, you know what? This is all garbage. And I, this was in my essay. I was like, you've heard all this before. This is garbage. Uh, I really just, I just want to like do something where I might actually fail and like fail badly, miserably. And uh, I think, but I think I also got kind of a, a, a cheat pass because I did all this in the essay, which was great. Hundreds of people applied, but I also sent my essay in from Antarctica. So I think he looked at that. I think he might've looked at that and said, oh, this guy, he lives in a tent on the, on the ice sheet. I'm gonna pro- I'm gonna prove to him that my race is harder than that. Yeah. So I think I might have actually gotten a free pass because of that. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, he says he still uses like a you know an algorithm to figure out who he's gonna pick and stuff. But he, yeah, Laz yeah. uses an algorithm. <laughs> exactly. But I know I know he said he even told me once he said I never had an applicant from Antarctica before. And you know I, mean, I was just down there doing research. Yeah. Obviously, like nobody lives there, but. Um, but it was kind of funny that, you know, part of your essay, you have to put what state you represent or what country you represent. So I put that I was representing Antarctica. Yeah. And that's on your, that's on your results. Yeah, my license your, plate was from Antarctica. Yeah, and like your results a, are A-N-T. Yes, also, exactly. You and know? You know, they sell little, there's a little gift shop in McMurdo Station and they sell little like novelty <laughs> Antarctic plates. And I, I so. think you can guarantee that had an influence. With <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, for sure. The novelty of it all. Yeah. Right. And that's probably what he was like, Hey, Camera crew, go but, talk to this guy. He's a he's an ice junkie. But in later years, I put a lot of thought into my essays. Um, I actually published my essays online. Um, I have like a journal site if anyone wants to read them. Like I actually thought a lot about kind of like I came up with a theme of sort of what I was thinking. And every year when I reapplied, a lot of thoughts went through my head about do I really want to do this again? And like what have I been thinking about over the last year? And why do I really want to do this again? And so I, I really put a lot of time into my follow-up essays. And that's that's the other thing is you've run Barkley four times now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you went you you finished it and you still went back. Yeah, and actually I went back my <laughs> second year even more trained than my first year. Yeah, and my fastest loop ever at Barkley was actually my first loop of my second year. So I oh. was, is that? Oh. That's all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, that second year I went, I was actually more trained, but uh, yeah, I had a lot of trouble that year with navigation and fog and yeah. just things compounding and then you just it switched flips off and that's the end of it yeah so it's not that we have we have two guys that have run barkley we have six barkley attempts up here right now and and a finish so that's pretty good percentage really honestly one out of six is is pretty good 40 people 40 people a year for 25 years so over a thousand just to just to put it in perspective i've done research well Every, everybody's probably done research on it, but 15 people have finished that race. Over a thousand people have started it. Mm-hmm. 
And There's number 13 right there. Yeah. And, and uh, the, the funny thing about that is, like you said, I've done research. The thing that I think about is everybody who's done that race has done research. It really appeals to some sort of weird, twisted nerd that loves, like, books and maps and studying and throwing your whole self into it. Right, like yeah. John, you talked a lot it's about not a whole that. lot to do down in Antarctica when you're not when you're not working. So. <laughs> <laughs> I brought I brought a lot of race reports with me and a lot of maps to study when I was not working. Yeah, and you did you did like you said um, I like maps, I like navigation, yeah. right? And so you had that background of I love maps and navigation and I love exploring, and then you poured that all into Barkley. But things feed into that too, you know, like. I don't know that I would say I, w- I was not very good at navigating, I would say, for most of my life. And then on one of my hikes, so I, I hiked on the Pacific Crest Trail, and I happened to hike it a year that we had 200% snow that year. And so for 700 miles in the Sierras, there was no trail, and I had to just navigate with a compass, and I got exceptionally good at it because of that experience. So had I not had that experience, I probably would have gotten lost all over the place at Barkley. So, yeah. you know, things just kind of have a way of working out in that sense. And and Tim, you didn't get lost at Barkley. You just... Um, I still got lost, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> I will say. It, it depends lost on what is the relative. The lost yeah, is. Everybody gets lost. Depends on what the definition of is is. No, it's, <laughs> you're never lost in Frozen Head State Park because you can just head, you can just head southwest and find the Yellow Gate. But it's 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 whether you can find this. This is which right. it's not. You know, <laughs> I knew where I was all the time. I never knew where these were all the time. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, it, it, when when you're in the army, you, in the military, you have all these different land nav forces. This is what a land navigation point looks like in the military. This is you're finding a two meter pole. With, I mean, it's it's you don't have a GPS. It's like it's like Gary's course. You can't go out on the course with a GPS or anything. But this is what you're looking for in the woods. All right. So, and most military land nav courses are, if you go 4,000 to 7,000 meters, that's a long course. You're traveling 4,000 to 7,000 meters to find one of these. There are three of these in this room right now. Like, I put them in different locations, and they just, they don't jump right out at you. So, you know, <laughs> you're looking like... for a book in a Ziploc bag <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's hidden in the woods. And, I mean, this year, book three... I was with the guy we were both looking for, and he walked by it three times. When I walked up, I walked right up on it. and just John, I had a John can't help himself. He He's looking for books right now. There's a great line in the documentary. I think it's, uh, I think it's Blake Wood says, you know, everybody has a story at Barkley of where they, they know they're at the book, but they can't find it. And oh, it just yeah. it happens to everybody. I mean, there's, it, it, there was exactly – I remember the, the third year I did it, I was trying to finish a fun run. I was on the last book of Loop 3. And I was with four people, and we walked around for 20 minutes, and we were right at the book, and we couldn't find it. We finally found it, but, I mean, it meant we had to run in to try and finish before the cutoff. Yeah. So. so for people that don't know, at, at Barkley, the books are checkpoints. So you could wander around in the woods for a long time and then come back to the gate and be like, I did the loop. And then Laz goes, give me your 11 pages. And if you don't have 11 pages, well, then Goodbye. So you can wander around in the woods, but you have to get your bib number is the page of the book that you have to rip out. So, and the books are named things like, well, tell us some of the names of the books, actually. 
Um, actually, that was one of my trivia questions for somebody in, in the in the audience. Does anybody know what the name of the book was at the tower? At the tower, twelve. Because I I have that book. Oh yeah, and I, I saved it. Someone actually went and recovered it. I and never it saw that book. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody know? At the tower, the, I don't. The story. What happened was on loop, my last loop. Um, the the park ranger had actually come up and thought the race was over and taken all the water and the book out away. And so when I got there, when I was coming up the last that climb, there would have been no book there. And someone saw the ranger coming down and said, "Wait, you can't take that. There's still a runner out there." And so. The, Wow. So then that book became very special to me. And so yeah. when the race was over and we went out and we recovered all the books, you know, at the end of the race, we just go get all the books. The, I think it was actually the film crew said, you should keep this. And now I have that book like framed. So I was just awesome. curious if anybody knew it that, cause I actually have a bid number from the Barclay that I would give to that person. You know, they, know. they know what the name of that book I is. I just watched it again for like the fifth time last night. And I don't know the name of the book. We'll come up with another question. People are like Googling it right now. No, but you you can't give your bib away to a Googler. Oh, I did. Did I? Oh, because I took a picture of the frame. Oh, that's right. You can't give your bib away to a Googler. Well, so this is, just for the record, this is from 2016. This is not from okay. the year, the 2012. Um, I kept all those. But. All right. Because we'll that, look, that we'll looks relatively question. fresh for 60 hours Yeah, we'll ask a different question. I'll come up with something. All right. No, um, I forgot I put that on Twitter. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so some of the books are, you know, ter- terrible things that are not uh, not going yeah, to like inspire to hell you. and back or, yeah, or like, up the one is up the down staircase is yeah, the one. Yeah. The big the big failure, like you know, um was someone was like fresh hell or something yeah, like just, that. Yeah, yeah. Pretty so bad. but you have to bring the eleven pages back and like if you've ever if you've ever heard people describing like the you read anybody's race report there's always going to be an entry about i was going up to the gate and i had to double check to make sure i had all my pages because yep. you don't want to get to the gate and find out you only have 10 mm-hmm. you know and so that that's kind of a big deal my question is do you ever read those pages while you're sitting down wondering about your life choices did you ever read the pages from the book? Uh, I can remember a couple times because a lot of times you'll get to a book with other people. Like you'll kind of all get there together. And sometimes one person will just rip out all the pages like, hey, what's your number? And they'll you know, give you your page. And so I've, I've definitely been with groups where someone will like be looking at their page and just start reading a sentence and laugh and <laughs> never actually had the time to read the whole page. You got 60 hours. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> got I usually just make sure it immediately goes into my baggie because I don't want to lose it. So Yeah. But I, it, it's just one of those, like you said, that's one of those last things, right? Like yeah. it's just another one of those things. Yeah, it's been easy for I, every page I've found on the course. Like two times there, I think I found a total of thirteen books. The pages I pull out just say one on them because I've been the sacrificial virgin twice. <laughs> <laughs> one, got it, moving. That's it. That's great. <laughs> so. So what's what's that like? You you um you seemed you have a very good disposition about going down and saying, "All right, time to play the bugle," right? And you kind of know it. But what's that like when you're you're at camp and you're like around and everybody saw you get bib number one and they're like, "This guy's not gonna make it." That's not well, necessarily true. The. Uh... The thing with Barkley is 
nobody's gonna make it. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, seriously. I mean, I, I didn't go there planning to fail. Both times I went there, like I, I was gonna come out of there and get a tattoo number sixteen on my calf because I, I wanted to be the sixteenth person to finish the race. But you, you know, you, you go there and you you give it your best effort, and if you make it, you make it. The last two years. Nobody's gotten through the fourth lap. Two guys got out in the third lap this year. That was it. You know, you talk about 15 people finishing that race. From 1969 to 1973, we put 12 people on the moon, the United States did. 24 people, 24 astronauts have been in near orbit around the moon. Think about that. In a space of five years. In the past five years, two human beings have finished Barkley. It's it's not impossible because you, you've got the doctor yeah. right here, but it is this close to being impossible. So, you get, you know, I, I went there and I gave him my best shot this year, and yeah, uh, it was um, it kicked my ass. And that's the thing, like, yeah. like that's why I think it's kind of a joke, like, oh, this guy has no chance, yeah. but nobody else has a chance <laughs> either. <laughs> it was funny this year when I got up there, and I got up there, and I got to the table, and John's there because he's crewing John Kelly, the last finisher, and Jerry Campbell, you know, the king of Barclays standing right there, and here I am, Mr. Second Time Sacrificial Virgin, and Laz's like, here's your one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew he was going to do it, and he's like, he's like, really? He, if you've never met him, he's got this Tennessee twang in his voice, and he's like, would you really have had it any other way? Yeah. Like, yeah. no, give me that thing. I'm out of I, I just like the, I think he it's has. It's easier to find the first page in the book yeah. than the yeah. 23rd page. He, <laughs> he has such a wit, though, where he's just yes. like, we expect you to, to be back first. Yeah. So, yeah. Sometimes he, you know, you, you can never, you never know because um, in 2013, a guy finished named Nick, and Nick was a sacrificial virgin. So he, well, he was a sacrificial version the first year he ran it, and he finished a fun run that year, and then he came back and finished five loops. So right. you, you never know. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a you you had said though you you got to go there, believing and hoping you're you have to you yeah. have to like, and you had almost brainwashed yourself into you are going to finish this. Right? Yeah, and and that I I credit a lot of that to uh, some interview I listened to. I think it was with one of the other finishers, a guy named Jonathan Basham, where he said like. You can't, don't ever think of it as loops. Just think of it as 60 hours. And it was weird because when I finished the third loop, people were congratulating me on my fun run. I said, I didn't even know what they were talking about. I said, what do you mean fun run? They said, we finished three loops. And I was like, oh yeah, right. Completely forgot about it. (laughs) I just said, I still have 20 hours left or 26 hours left. Yeah. So it was, yeah, it was weird. So what's that? What's the, um, you, we all have race nerves, right? People are going to be nervous before the start of tomorrow. They're going to be like, oh, I got 12 hours, and they're going to be lining up their gear. They're yeah. going to make sure they got all their gels, right? They're going to be organizing them. Yeah, for what's sure. That, what's that like when you're rolling into Frozen Head State Park yeah. and you got a guy sitting down there in his button-down shirt uh, smoking a cigarette, right, and being like, well, I don't know. They're all going to die. <laughs> like, what – do you have the do you have the race nerves at Barkley in a way that you do at say the Rochester Marathon? I still get nerves, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a little different. I think a lot of the nerves you get, at least the race morning, is just because you know there's that hour you have to get ready. So you're kind of trying to make sure everything's in order. Because once you start, you don't have a lot of time between loops to like fix things that you might have messed up. But at the same time, you have like 
10 hours out there to think about, oh, I forgot to set out my socks. I'll make sure I do that when I come in. You know? <laughs> so, but yeah, I definitely still get a little nervous at the start. Um, different though. It's not the same as like trying to run a fast marathon or something. Yeah, because they show a picture of your trunk, and it's all nice, and you got your little bib right there in the front. Yeah. I know? also arrived at Frozen Head that year like a week early, so I had a lot of time to sort of <laughs> get everything ready. You so. got the nerves out. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of grim faces standing in front of that front gate, because you, you know yeah. it's, it's going to be the most physically demanding yeah. thing you've ever done. Yeah, Maybe, again, that well, you've ever done. And there's some people that, are, that really want to finish that. I mean, everybody really wants to finish it, but there's people that have been there for four or five years, and... You, you can see that they're they're really pressuring themselves to get out there and yeah. yeah hopefully everything goes right and they finish it but it it's hard <laughs> I think I would add too that um, if someone asked me it's the hardest race I ever done I would say the hardest race I ever done was the second Barkley and yeah. John Kelly will tell you the exact same thing after his experience this year when you go there you know it's going to be bad. But if it's your first time, you don't really know how bad it's going to be. Like, you can read all the race reports in the world, and you can, like, study the terrain, and you know it's going to be a 1,600-foot climb, and there's going to be briars, and you can watch YouTube clips or whatever but of people playing around in Frozen Head. But the second time you go back, you know exactly what you're getting into. And so the smallest problem that you have, it's like you just flip the switch. You're like, I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. you know. And it's amazing how much it's so hard to finish the Barkley a second time. Like, I, I don't know how Jared Campbell has done it three times. I cannot fathom that. Or Brett twice. Or Brett twice, yeah, for that matter. So, just, so not that Twisted Branches is, is Barkley, but I have that experience. My first 100K was Twisted Branch, and I went out, and I didn't know. I didn't know. Like, so I went out, and I finished Twisted Branch. And it was an 18-hour cutoff, and I finished in 1743 nice. right there. Got it done. Um, so then I went back a second year and I'm like, got this second year. I trained, I'm better trained. It's a long race, but I know what's coming. I got to mile 23 Italy Valley and I I came down in the aid station. I'm like, Oh, this is Italy Valley. I got 40 more miles. And I knew, (laughs) you know, those 40 miles that are coming and you're like, no, yeah, it's but you had you had um, talked about like the loops. Is you like the idea of loops? You like the idea of being able to turn it off and kind of repeat and be able to know what's coming. Yeah. So how do you balance each side? Like, oh, I know what's coming, but I know what's coming. Well, I don't know. I mean, for Barkley, you're always going in a different. It's always a different loop because it's either day or night or reverse direction. So it is the same, like you see the same markers, like you know where the rocks are and the, the different, you know, that tree over that rock or whatever, but it's slightly different. You know, it might be in the dark or it might be in the fog or it might be in the, in the opposite direction. But, um, yeah, I don't, mind, I don't mind doing repeats. I mean, I wouldn't be here if I did, right? So, <laughs> the terrain yeah. is so unbelievable there, too. And, you're, I mean, and it's all, you're always kind of not in the same place because, yeah, yeah, you have to go from book to book and you have to follow a course, but if you're like thrashing down some hillside, you're not going to be on the exact same line you were the last time. So it's always a little bit different. It's it's just mm-hmm. there's always subtle differences in your loops. Mm-hmm. So it should be. Yeah, so we'll do. We'll. Um, I think a lot of people have we some questions. questions. Yeah. So I have I have one more question, which is um, after Barkley. So you go out and you do Barkley. You do this life changing experience. You do the hardest race you've ever done. Um, what's that like to then come back and, 
you're, you're both in the movie. Some of us uh, a little bit longer than others. <laughs> but, but you're both in the movie, and you've had this life-changing experience. Did Barkley change the way that you think about running? John? You want me to go first? Um, I had a really hard time right afterward, like getting back into – uh, I had to take a break from it for a while because it was just it was it was so it was so extreme and dramatic and that I just I had a lot, hard time and I did get back into it but then a year later when I went back for the second time and I I quit on loop two I took a really long time off from running just because I didn't I was just kind of confused about what I really was doing it for and so I had a lot of trouble with it but the, the as far as the film that didn't come out for several years it was like three or four years later mm-hmm. and so. I was kind of back into the normal swing of things before the film came out. But it, it was very weird when, when the documentary came out at first because I was in Boston and, you know, I'd walk down the street of Boston. And, so, and, and I didn't know they were releasing it on Netflix. I thought they were just releasing it on iTunes where you had to pay for it on iTunes. And so no one saw it when it first came out. And then when they put it on Netflix, it, it like just got recommended for anyone that's ever watched like a sports documentary. And so all of a sudden it was like random people in restaurants would say, hey, I just saw you on TV last night. I was like, oh. Um, so yeah it was really weird for about a year people would recognize me everywhere but now like it's it's like not even on netflix anymore so i don't really nobody really says anything (laughs) (laughs) did did it change how you felt going to events did you feel like i'm not going to go to that because i don't want to be the barkley guy i mean i love i I think it's great when when people want to talk about it i I love talking about it so yeah um it it is kind of weird when you go to like the local running club's 10K, though, you know, and it's, it's just kind of weird because it's like, I'm just the guy that's running the 10K. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm just like you guys, like, you know. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a little weird for a while. But I feel like it's still out there and people can still watch it and stuff, but I, I feel like it's it's over the hump now. And, and now, the, now, especially now since Gary's films come out, that's kind of taken the spotlight. So it's, it is kind of nice to just be back to like anonymous old me. So yeah. Gary's a little bit more recognizable and a little bit more yeah, out there. Right? Yeah. He's, Big he's beard and all. yeah, for sure. So what about you, Tim? Um, Barkley, I've been basically since that movie came out, just trying to live it down. <laughs> I mean, for obvious reasons. Uh, you know, everybody raised their hand, they watched it. I've never watched that documentary. I'm, I'm not. This year, if I had finished the race, I would have watched it. You but should. You come off really good in well, it, honestly. You know, I, I mean, it's just funny. I mean, I, I'm sure people, I mean, here's Johnny. He finished the race. I, I am dumbfounded by the amount of people that recognize me. I like Every every race I go to, someone comes up and goes, "Hey, you're in, yeah, I'm in that movie." I mean, I, I've been out of the army negotiating. You're the corporate. director of Greenlight. <laughs> yeah, no one ever says that. I mean, I, I've been I've been out of the army negotiating corporate America for like ten or eleven years. I was doing a job interview on the phone because I put ultra running in my resume. Finish this race. I just do because I think, you know, I I think it takes character to finish an ultra marathon, and I put it in my resume. And I was on a phone conference where I was getting interviewed with three people, and one guy was in Denver. He's like, hey, are you in that bo- that documentary about Barkley? I mean, I was being interviewed for a awesome. job. So, I mean, last year, we both did Ghost Train. I'm running a Ghost Train, and some attractive lady pulls up next to me, and she's like, I recognize you. 
like, you know, when so that happens, I'm like, wait a minute, what did I do? And she's like, I saw you in a movie the other night. I'm like, oh, okay. Phew. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, that, got it. So it, it was a privilege. To, it's a privilege to run Barkley. It's a privilege. I mean, over a thousand people applied for that race this year. And, I, you know, I, I called my dad from Frozen Head State Park the night before the race. And you're sitting there. I mean, here's you know, John's here. He's crewing John Kelly. Jerry Campbell's asking me what my plans are for the race. It's like, I'm going to follow you, you know. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to my dad. And it's like, I feel like I'm in the old Miller Lite commercial. I don't know. This is going to really age me. But where they have all the stars on there. Less filling tastes great. And then they got Marv Throneberry at the end of it going, I don't know why they asked me to do this commercial. <laughs> but it's just a privilege to be there. And, you know, you want to be in the documentary? Hell yeah, I'll be in it now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. Yeah, strictly from race director perspective, Minded Dax is more like it was interesting to observe that how I noticed like how Minded Dax runners treated John or looked at John and Tim after the documentary came out, like because 2014, both were here. Nobody knew about it. I didn't know that. Anonymous, they run it. One of the runners know that stuff. Then the movie comes out, and then I see posts. Oh, I'm starstruck. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but John looked real good. He had his nice, light, white linen shirt on and his big hat. Wait, here? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, and he's oh, just... Oh, yeah, my button-down shirt. Yeah, yeah. the button-down. It works great when it's sunny and hot out. It's ventilating. Yeah, and he was just flowing around the course. <laughs> just flowing. Excellent. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> they work great. I wore that same shirt from all states, so it works yeah. really good. All right, so I know we didn't cover a whole lot, and I'm sure you got a lot of things that you're wondering and uh, I've never really been good at organizing a large group. So if you could figure out how to do it orderly, um, <laughs> if you got a question for them, um, I'll kind of point at you. Uh, and then since we're recording it, you're going to have to come over here and or you're going to have to be loud enough. So um, if that dissuades any of you, I'm sorry, but you'll want to hear yourself in the future. Uh, so who has uh, questions for these fellows? Question, I guess, yeah, we too. can repeat them. Yeah, I can do that. Sure. How about that? Way to make it easy on people, John. <laughs> All right. Who's got a question? Go ahead. What's the meaning of the num- getting the number one bib? So what's the meaning of getting the number one bib? It's, it's, well, it's a race director thing, and he, uh, it, it, you're the sacrificial virgin because you're the person that really has no business being out on that course and you're going to get the first bib and you're going to finish first. <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, everyone expects to be back in camp first. Ironic, yes. So in 2012, I was the first back, but last year I was, I think, the last back recorded. So I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if that's an improvement because I had about the same amount of books. But, uh. <laughs> Go ahead. As a follow-up to that, you know, I I know of some other sacrifices, and some of them, frankly, have so much less experience than you did going into Barkley. So have you talked with any of the other sacrifices or compared stories on how you became the sacrifice? <laughs> um, no. I want to know how I <laughs> be a sacrifice. <laughs> no. what, do you, what do you got to say to get in? <laughs> no, I... Uh, um, I 
I kind of think Laz picks the sacrificial virgin for whoever he thinks is the biggest blowhard on the ultra list. But I, I don't I don't know that for a fact. No, I I, I really haven't because when on the ultra list or online or whatever, when when Barkley comes up, I just shut up because of the video and and all that stuff. So no, I, I've actually never compared notes on that. I haven't, but it's it's pretty cool just to be out on that course. It, it really is. It's I, I always sound like I'm tap dancing, but that course is. It's so hard, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's the easiest climb is the first one on there, and it's as hard as any climb in any race I've done. And that's the easiest climb on the course. It really is. You should watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anybody else? Uh, all the way in the back. Can you talk about how you So the question is, how do you navigate? And Tim's going to bring out his bag. But I'll say a couple things, but Tim brought some gear. So um, for me, I've always, you know, I, I've always been kind of really good with, with just maps and, and using terrain on maps. I mean, my, my graduate schooling is in geosciences, so I spent a lot of time making maps and studying maps. And so for me, I just got really good using the map for Frozen Head with a compass. And, and I went a week early to the park so I could kind of get a really good feel for which peaks were which in the park. So I always had a sense of where I was. Uh, and then um, I, I had sort of drawn the course in my mind of what I thought it was just by studying all the race reports. I mean, I knew he was going to change it a little bit, but I mean, for the most part, I was 90% correct just by studying before the race. I basically knew what the course was going to be. And so I imagined myself going around the course hundreds of times saying, oh, okay, I'm, there, there'd be a drainage here, and then there'd be a small creek coming here, and then there'd be, be a st- steep climb based on the topo lines here. And I kind of tried to imagine the entire course. And then when I got there, I also had all the um, bearings for the compass. And so you know, I actually didn't use my compass a lot. Like I used it when I was like, mm, I just want to double check. But, you know, you talk to Brett. Mountie, who's one of the other finishers, on the year, the first year he finished, he said he took his compass out once on the whole race. So it's like, it kind of just depends on how, how you navigate. If you do it sort of just on, on feel and, and on visual markers, or if you just, I mean, there are other people who use their compass at every single intersection just to make sure. So, and, and you know, either way, I, I tried to err on the side of using a compass because I knew it would be right. And the nice thing about Frozen Head is it, it's like, lines up with sort of zero declination so you don't have to really change your compass at all you can just kind of use magnetic north and you're good so um yeah i, I don't know you you probably speak you actually brought your compass it looks like so yeah yeah i mean not to over elaborate on that but i mean there's two different types of ways that you navigate you either navigate using your compass or you terrain associate or you do a combination of them you know to, when you're when you when you go through special forces training, they, they don't e- you don't even use this. They train you to terrain associate, which is, you know, if you look at the map of Frozen Head State Park, there's huge peak after huge peak after huge peak. So um, I tried to use both my compass and my map and a protractor while I was out there. But, you know, it was interesting listening to John talk. I mean, he's, a, he's accomplished something extraordinary. I don't know if you've seen that movie Free Solo yeah. where the guy climbed El Capitan. That guy was on that ledge for five straight years studying that, and he knew every nuance of that. And, uh, you know, John spent a lot of time in Frozen Head State Park, and he was prepared when he went out there, and he spent a week out there learning the park, too. So that type of, that type of dedication really pays off. You know, that's really interesting. And I'll, I'll just throw a plug in for the, the Rochester Orienteering Club. I'm sitting there staring at that sign, and that's the same kind of markers that they use for rock orienteering and 
they have little fun learn to orienteer uh, challenges where you go out on like a Wednesday night and they have a little course set up where you can orienteer yourself through Menden Ponds Park. So if that's something, I mean, it's a much smaller scale, but it is something really cool to uh, to try out. Laz always downplays that too. Well, it's really not navigation. Barclays the hardest land navigation course in the world. <laughs> it, it is. It's. I mean, it's it's huge peak after huge peak. You know, if you, you know, I missed a couple of books by a couple hundred yards coming off a ridge. That that's like a thirty minute mistake that you have to make up out out yeah. on the course. You have to figure out where you're at out there. It's, interesting well i mean gary robbins talks about that right like he talks about i had this thing nailed right absolutely nailed and then he he turned around once and he was like i had no idea where i was right you know so um oh, right there so so nutrition and alertness probably probably one of those at least you could do <laughs> Yeah, it's it's fascinating to see the different nutrition strategies of the different finishers. So I I, I basically like memorize Brett's race reports, and I tried to kind of mimic what he did. And what he did is actually terrible. Like he basically for sixty hours ate nothing but Cliff bars, which is awful, just horrible. <laughs> so I I don't know how I actually was able to. I mean, I was gagging on those. I mean, I, I was trying desperately to eat what I could, and thankfully. Um, Someone in camp who was camped in the same spot as me um, had crew, and their crew person was cooking meals. So when I came in, I didn't have any crew. So when I came in, um, I was getting like, here, eat the spaghetti. And so I was actually getting good meals in camp. But out on the loops, you know, I was, I was eating just really not great. And then the next year I went back and I, I watched as this guy Travis ran it, and he was bringing like – egg and cheese bagels wrapped in aluminum foil. I mean, he had like all this amazing food. He would like open his pack and be like, oh, I've got this wonderful sandwich that Alyssa made for me. And I'm just like, I'm like eating a dry cliff bar. And I was like, this is so, but I mean, people do that. There's people that literally eat gels the entire race. I just don't know how they can do that. Um, you really have to eat like full meal, like types, hearty foods, maybe loop one. You can get by on, on, on gummies and gels and sugars, but that can only go so far. Um, as far as alertness, I still to this day don't know how I managed to stay awake that long. Um, I, I definitely didn't stay awake that long at Vol State. And any other year I've gone back, I've had a really hard time with sleep depth. Um, caffeine helps a bit, but yeah, <laughs> I was falling asleep on loop three two years later, like really like asleep wake, like standing. And so I honestly have no idea how I was able to stay awake that long. I think it was just a, I just, uh, something lined up right that year for me freakishly great focus maybe i don't i was definitely hallucinating though for sure on that last loop yeah. and will so how does how does the nutrition strategy differ between barclay and bad water and the race you did where you had to drag your crap behind you or <laughs> are you do you do you plug the same strategy all the time or do you tailor it for the race itself and i know for a marathon there's a wide range. People do gels. People do nothing. People do yeah. fasted, not fasted. So how do you tell me? Um, you know, I, I you see that you see that all the time. You have to have like a, a master resustenance plan, and I, I've never I've never mastered that. It's been different. 
for every race I'd done. Like Badwater was, I tell, I mean, Badwater is a really hard race. I've done something like twelve or fifteen hundred mile races. It was the easiest triple digit race I've ever done because, I mean, it's it's hard. It's extreme heat and there's some huge climbs in it, but. I've never really had a crew before. Yeah. I mean, there's people handing me stuff every two miles. So, I mean, I was, I, I always had something to drink. I mean, yeah. we had stuff in our vehicle. I mean, we bought half of Walmart. I mean, I spent so much money feeding our crew. It was unbelievable. It's like my, one of my brothers came. I mean, he had enough food. I'm like, I could live in Afghanistan for a month with all this stuff. So I had a lot of food there. Arrowhead, I had very little in my sled. I, I was... I live in ra- I, on races longer, you know, hundred mile races and stuff. I live off of Coca Cola and short term yep. cheap sustenance like that. That's what I yeah. I did that at Arrowhead. I had some food at Arrowhead, but not very much because you're dragging your sled. And the more you're dragging, the more it weighs. I I had very little at Barkley. You know, my plan was to get through the loop as fast as I could and uh, eat when I got back to the camp. But um, for me, it's been different in every race. I treated Barkley a lot more like a through hikes yeah. in my mind. So like I was tailoring my food more like I would eat like a lot more hearty, heavy foods because you just, you need bigger calories. Like yep. even when I'm doing like a, like say a hundred miler, I might do gummies and gels and, and, you know, powders in my drink for like the first 15 to 20 miles. But eventually I start eating heartier food just because otherwise I can't, you just can't keep your heart rate up that long. One loop at Barkley's, Twelve and a half thousand feet of elevation change, and five thousand so calories. Really ca- you've got to have real calories to yeah. do that. So yeah. that's even more impressive. Right. Uh, the green hat had one. Yeah, I'm just curious. Like, what percentage of the time do you run uh, at Barkley? Barkley, and even curious, like with Badwater. Badwater is a little different. I think there's a lot. You can run a lot more there just because it's sure. paved. I mean, it's like it was like Spartathlon too. Um, I mean, you can run a lot on a paved course even when there's climbs it's you can run um barkley you do have to people think that you can hike the whole thing you cannot you do have to run um, especially on loop one um I, I would say by the by the end of loop two i was not running anything that was even remotely up or mostly flat <laughs> i was only really jogging the downhills um but i mean you're you're navigating too so you're it's really hard to run on that course because there's just briars everywhere so but like say a, a typical like say a Western States or a Leadville or something, you know it kind of depends on what my goal is and how trained I am. Um, I you know if I'm going for a sub twenty four at like a, a hundred miler, I'm going to be running a lot. You know, um, even if it means slowing way down, still trying to run fourteen minute miles or something. You know, or thirteen minute miles late into the race. Um, I definitely incorporate a lot of walking though. You know, I saw that post on the. On the on this site for you know make sure you incorporate walking. It's really important to do that. Even you know even if it's mind the ducks, it's important to walk. Um, so uh, I definitely don't run everything unless it's like a marathon and I'm going for a fast time or something. <laughs> so in front of the green hat. <laughs> um, my question is: I, on the documentary, they say that I know that the race is sixty hours long, but they don't really know like what the actual distance is. Did you ever go back and calculate how far you actually mm-hmm. ran? And what the distance is? Well, you're, you're not allowed to take a GPS on the course. Right. Um, I did go into, uh, like, software. Like, I went into ArcGIS software, and I actually plotted out what I thought the course was on software. And, you know, the, the common 
understanding is that a loop is probably a close to about a marathon. And that's about what I got. It was like 26 miles, 25, 26 miles. Of course it was, you know, I was guessing in spots, but I would say a loop is roughly 25 miles, 26 miles. And you don't count the parts where you go down and then come back up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's parts where you get off course. and Yeah, exactly. So that's why in the documentary, I think they do say it's about a marathon and 130 miles total. I I would say that's probably pretty close. Yeah. Uh, Way in the back, another green hat. (laughs) No, black hat. Okay, sorry. I was like, I have a black hat, I think. Um, So one of the questions I had, and I haven't watched the documentary yet, but I'm very inspired to after a long time. Tim, Tim, did you know you were the sacrificial virgin before you were told? Um, no, no, because the, the, yeah, so. the list doesn't get published. But yeah, so for some reason, I wasn't surprised to see it. Um, that that, that kind of made me feel a little extra pressure, especially this year. You know, this year I went back and I'm like, damn it, I'm, I'm going to vindicate myself. I trained pretty hard for that race this year. I mean, I like I said earlier, I feel like I'm always trying to tap dance around or, or vindicate myself for this race. But this year from July on, I did um, five 100 mile races or longer, including Vol state. I did a hundred K trail race that had a pretty good timeline. I did another trail race in December and I trained, I trained pretty hard. I did a lot of climbing, but you know, when I was on the course, I, I just, I, I wanted to more than anything, I, I wanted to finish the race and then I wanted to finish the damn lap. And I, I didn't even get that the weather. Got so dicey and I couldn't find the friggin' book. And uh, um, you know, it was one of those stories where we couldn't find the book and the weather was just so terrible. I just packed it in and, and headed back to camp. So it, it, it's kind of like the same. Actually, I, I would say, I mean, it's a privilege to be in the race. You want to do the best you can. But I, I think a lot of heavyweights kind of felt that way going into I'm going to fight Mike Tyson, I'm going to win. And they weren't surprised when they got knocked out. You know, so um, you always want to do your best in every race. And that's that's why Mind the Ducks is it's an ultra and it's like Barkley. You want to do your best in every race when you're out there. But um, I don't think I felt more pressure at that race, although you have to have a race mentality. And you, you've got to realize that the damn clock is running because you're out in the middle of nowhere by yourself half the time. And when you're out there looking around, OK, I've been spending 20 minutes finding this book, I better... Find it pretty quick and get going because, you know, 13 hours sounds like a long time on the Barkley course. It goes by like that. It goes by so quick. It's like, holy cow. Yeah. I had I had um, the privilege of extreme anonymity. Yeah, I can't say the word. I, I was anonymous that first year, um, and I'm, I purposely made it that way. Like, I always tell people when I'm going to run a race or, you know, I'll say, hey, I'm going to do Leadville or something. And that year – I decided if I got into Barkley that it was going to be strictly for myself to test myself as a personal challenge. So I told no one. I didn't tell any of my friends. I didn't tell any of my running community. And I, I completely left it that way so that when I showed up, nobody knew who I was. Uh, nobody knew any of the things that I had done. And so it was great. I said, if I fail, no one cares. No one knows. It's, it's, just, it's me and the course. That's it. 
And so I kind of, it was nice. I actually didn't, I had less pressure, I think, than I would at a normal event. It's nice. Yes, you mentioned Leadville and Western States. Mm-hmm. And the, those are the early years of ultra-marathon running. Yeah. And how would you compare the, the course, not not the navigation part of it, but the, the difficulty of the climbs and the ups and downs and um, John, you also done Hard Rock as well, right? Yeah. yeah. So, um, no, no other course that I've done has there been this much stuff that's off trail. Um, there are definitely some really difficult climbs on courses. You know, there's some really hard climbs on Hard Rock. There's a five thousand foot climb on Hard Rock. Um, there's a course in New York State, uh, the Manitou's Revenge. It's one of the hardest courses I've ever run. That course is really tough. So there are some really tough courses out there with crazy climbs, but almost all of it is on a trail. And so what really makes Barkley so hard is is you're climbing at a 35 or 40% incline on a, on a loose slope, and you're, you're clutching at branches and leaves, and, and, you, and, you, and you don't even know if you're actually on the right place. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it can be really, it's just really hard. It's really hard. And it, the angle is so steep so often that you, no matter what you do to prepare your feet, you always end up getting hot spots because your foot is always at an angle that's, that's not good, which if you saw in the documentary, the one guy said, you, you have to tape your feet because if you don't, you're going to get blisters. You know, I never get blisters. I got blisters at Barkley. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just it's a different type of difficult. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Western States has its, has its share of nasty climbs. Hard Rock has its share of nasty climbs. Leadville. You know, there's no elevation at Barkley, like like altitude elevation. I mean, like you're not you're not climbing at twelve thousand feet, um, so you don't have to deal with thin air, but you you have way more elevation gain at Barkley. So sixty percent of the course, at least this year, is off trail, and it's I mean it's really steep. I, I haven't done Western States or Hard Rock, but I'd say one loop at Barkley's. Anybody here run the Heiner fifty k? That's a hard fifty k. That's a tough one. I'd too. say I'd say one loop at Barkley's twice as hard as that because. Sixty percent of it's off trail, and it's—I mean, not only are you climbing a, a pitch where it's like three points of contact, you're climbing over logs, you're going over rocks, and you're trying to trying to negotiate where you're going too. I mean, it, it's hard to run downhill on that stuff. It's it's really hard to run downhill on it. it never mind, yeah, climbing straight up it. All right, we got time for like two more questions, and I got them if you don't. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was going to ask some other things, but do you do you have another trivia question? I'm drawing a blank right now. So All right. Yeah, just, I guess just go ahead and ask your questions. And All right. Thinking. Okay. You can you can keep on thinking. That's fine. Um, you could ask uh, to name one of the popular one of the popular climbs or one of the popular parts on the course. That's one of your favorites that might not be there anymore. You know. Um, my question was uh, for each of you: How many miles are you going to run tomorrow at Mind the Ducks? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've I've had multiple experiences here. Um, I came here one year. The first year I came here, I wanted to get, try to get as good as I could. Uh, I'd never done. A, I don't think I'd actually done a twelve-hour event at that point. But then the next year I came here was um, literally the day before my graduation from grad school. So I, I was, as I was getting up towards 50 miles, um, my family was like, you do realize you actually have to walk across the stage tomorrow. You might want, not want to run too much. Um, 
And then I came back the, the next, uh, the third time, and, and kind of was just had a more carefree attitude. And tomorrow, um, I don't know. I, I have some family here that I'm going to be walking a lot of loops with, so I think I'm just going to have fun tomorrow. And you'll probably see me out there walking. So you're going to get a fun run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll Three see. loops. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, that bell goes. I, the very first year I was here, I was literally in the porter potty at the start of the race, so I missed the first two minutes of the race. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> Jim, Jim Miner was saying how he beat you because you had to leave for your graduation. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tim? When are you going to run tomorrow? Um, I was going to go out and just see how I could do, but I've run this twice. The first time I ran it, I did 50 and three-quarter miles, and then last year I did 49 and three-quarter miles. So, I mean, I'm going to go out there and – I think I'm probably going to do about 50 miles, I, I guess. I'd like to do a little more than 50 miles, but we'll see. Nice. Hopefully right. share miles with many of you guys out there. Yeah. Yeah. It'll yeah. be fun. All right. Well, um, I guess that's a wrap. Thank you both so much. Uh, All right. Does, any, does anybody know... Does anybody know the place on the course that I, I basically quit the year that I, I – like I actually decided I was going to quit. Uh, you're sitting down and you're reading your note. And yeah, somebody read my race report. Yeah. I've, 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 Does anybody remember what where that was though? Prison? What? No, it wasn't the prison. It was right – it was before the prison you had said. It was it was just outside the prison. You were sitting down. You guys. I, can't get I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, so none of us are going to be able to finish Barkley because we haven't studied your race report. What's the name of the the climb with the tower on it? Does anybody know that? Yeah, it's Raja. I don't know who said it first. I think you said it first, so I'll give it to you. So yeah, this was from uh, 2016. Wow, there you go, John, giving up the race bin. Rat job. You didn't talk about the Pillars of Doom? or That's where it was. That's where I quit. That's where you quit? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which loop? Loop four. Coming but right you, as I was about to come into camp. I, I think a lot of people. So I had finished the loop. This year, I, I, I got a feeling sing, at know? least one of the guys that started loop four got the Pillars of Doom and said, eh, I'm out. Yeah. They get very icy. I've seen quite a few people spill on those, too. Pillars of Doom are at the top of the first climb. Mm-hmm. So when you cross over those, you get you go down into a narrow defile and you get to book one. And then when you leave that, you plunge down into the far side of the course and you're in a whole different world over there. Yeah, that's basically so when you pass the Pillars of Doom trail. and go yeah. down to the far side of the course, there's a lot of climbing to get the hell out of there. <laughs> that's the so. moment you realize how much of the course is probably going to be off trail yeah. because you, you've, you've been that first climb is all on park trail. You're like, yep. okay, this is all right. Yep. And then you step off the pillars of doom and you realize I'm just in the woods. <laughs> well, the, the good thing is if you didn't get to ask your question or you think of your question tonight, you'll have 12 hours to yeah. ask it <laughs> tomorrow. So get some rest. Uh, thank yeah. you both, John and Tim, for sharing uh, sure. sorrow and thank suffering and fun. Thank you all for coming. <laughs>